Well, we've started this series titled Gifted, and it's actually a word that is used oftentimes that we all use for anybody who's very talented. We say when they have amazing abilities, they are gifted. Though that's not where we're going, it helps to begin there because we all experience that. People that we tend to elevate because of their talents and their abilities, what we say is giftedness, when indeed it is skills and abilities. At the same time, while we see that and see it all throughout our culture in every discipline and every facet of life, we also see how people fall when there's great abilities without great character. I look back, uh, when I was growing up, Bobby Knight was a coach for Indiana and really well regarded, but he had a hot temper. And Bobby, you kind of lived with it, but one day he took it too far and really it unraveled his career because while he was greatly talented and able and gifted, he wasn't driven by the character he needed. And, and we see that over and over again, particularly we note it in sports. Tiger Woods several years ago went through a significant difficulty and struggled and has really covered, had difficulty recovering because of things in his inner world that weren't seen, that didn't inform his talent, but minimized what he could do or at least could lead to his demise. Johnny Manziel, a pro football player who had great potential in future, had an ego that was untamable and it's caused him to lose out on his career. And make no mistake, this is not just athletics. If we look in our political climate, we see all sorts of character problems. Some years ago, David Gergen, who was a speechwriter for multiple presidents, mostly Republican, but Democrat as well, wrote a book called Eyewitness to Power. And in it, two of the four presidents he worked for, he saw their character issues underneath that led to trouble for them. Richard Nixon was the first and Bill Clinton was the second. And he wrote about this thing you didn't see, this darkness that overcame all of these talents and abilities. And it would be nice if we could simply leave it outside of us, but even when we look in the church, we've seen pastors rise to great prominence because they're incredibly talented and skilled, and yet the character underneath somewhere eroded away, and it left them for less. The reason I want to begin there today is we're going to look at what it means in the scriptures to be gifted. And this is not just abilities, it's spiritual giftedness. I'll come back to the difference in that in a little while but before we go anywhere, we're going to spend the next five weeks going through one particular area of a letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Just one chapter of this letter, really 30 verses, about 60 sentences that we're going to look at. In case when you're a chapter, you might think longer. It's not true in the Bible often. But with this, there is a warning that Paul is giving. He's writing to a church in a city called Corinth. It's not too far from Rome, deeply influenced by Roman culture, which is much of the early church's life. And they've had this thing where they've experienced what we're calling spiritual giftedness, but without character. It's causing trouble. They're asking questions and Paul is writing to them. So before we even get in, and today's really an introduction, it's the first few verses of that chapters, six of them, I wanna give you a simple idea that we want you to carry all through this series, and I would say carry into how you live. It's something we pray over our kids. We do it every time we dedicate kids. We pray it over each other, and we always pray it for every person that we know, every chance we get. And it's simply this. This is the piece that I want us to enter into as we go in this series. Our character, we always want to run ahead of our giftedness. And simply what that means is we dig deeper into character than we dig or look for height in giftedness or public life. 
that you and I are to be people of character, meaning to be we actually build inner worlds and lives that seek to honor and live like Jesus, and giftedness is something we live out of that. Now, I want us to get that going into this piece because we're going to be looking just at giftedness, but we're going to keep coming back to a character runs ahead of giftedness. And that is indeed what Paul is wrestling with, is the people in Corinth have experienced these really supernatural gifts. In other words, things they didn't have before they knew Christ that the Spirit gives them, these gifts, or we might say abilities that aren't their natural abilities, and they're demonstrating them, but they're making this mistake. If I show this kind of gift, I must be more mature and more loved by God. That's kind of the conclusion they draw. It's about me. Now, I want to be really clear. I wish I could say that's the ancient world and that's all, but you do understand we do the same thing, don't you? I was considering this when I think of how I've spoken and how many of us speak. And the way I most often see it is how we talk about our kids as they grow up or talk about these teenagers and young adults. We will typically say, they're great. I love this one. And why is that? Well, because they're really doing well in school, they're really likable, and they're a good athlete, or they're good at music, or they're good at this. So what we're saying is their skills and abilities inform how we see them. They are better than. And do we not do that with each other? Isn't it true that you and I hold up people because of abilities and skills? We kind of laud them and applaud them. So before we ever look, it's, imagine I'm hoping to help you take those gifts you've been given and have them go from a spark, which God puts in you, and ignite them to flame. But in doing that, I don't want you to ever lose sight. Character runs ahead of giftedness. Character runs ahead of giftedness. Character runs ahead of giftedness. And in case you don't know, do you know which matters more to God? I wish you wouldn't overwhelm me with your response. It's like I, I just I barely can handle it. What runs, what matters more to God? It is character, isn't it? What God cares about is who we are and not what we do. And that's character. So as we enter in, we're gonna look at Paul's words. We're just gonna look at the first six verses. And he's responding at this point in time to questions they've asked him about what we call spiritual gifts. And I'll come back to define those in a bit. I want to be really clear. He's already been addressing through this letter other problems. And here's another example of one of their struggles. They come together and they have communion together. And he says to them, when you do this, you do it improperly. Those of you who have more, you eat first, which they're not, they do in their culture, but they shouldn't do with each other. And you leave none for those who have less. You dishonor God by how you actually do something that's supposed to show his love and grace to you. And he's challenging them, you're doing it wrong. You've put giftedness or what you see as your own lives ahead of character. Now we're going to continue with that as he addresses this with these believers in Corinth. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now we're going to come back. I'm not going to get into exactly what gifts means or the words of it because while it's translated this way and most academics have translated it this way because of what follows, the actual wording is about spiritual things or spiritual people. And, and why this is significant, not, not that it's not that, we'll come to gifts later, he's talking more about them being uninformed. Here's the irony. These people excelled at spiritual gifts. In other words, they found gifts, they harnessed them, they were doing them and operating in them. So of all the things you would tell them, they were uninformed, this shouldn't be one. In other words, when he's saying it, it's a little bit of a slap. Hey, I want to help you be informed about things that are spiritual, because quite honestly, you are not getting it. 
Now, I want us to hear the caution because of several things. One is, many of you may have heard things about spiritual gifts over the life of your following Jesus. Churches typically, and we've done it too, we'll do a message here or there, we talk about them, and you have a posture where you go, I know about spiritual gifts, and you tune out, I already get this. And what we do is we think we already know all there is to know. That's a posture we can all take. Can, can we agree that we do that? Now, here's the concern is if you do that, you're going to miss out on what God wants to say to you. Because in case you don't know, the posture we're to have is humble learning. And in case you don't know, whenever I meet someone who's really a master at what they do, they're also always a student. I'm always amazed that the people who are the best at what they do seem to always want to learn. Because they realize the more they know, the more they don't know. And in case you don't know, that's the beautiful thing of reading scripture. You don't read it and go, now I get it. Do you know every time we read, God's spirit interacts with us and something new comes to light. You'll learn something and then you'll learn something and then you'll learn something and then you'll learn something. So for me, I'm going, I just want you to have a humble learning posture. And so before we go on, I had you pray already, but I just want you in 10 seconds to go, God, I let go of thinking I know it all. Help me learn. Just take 10 seconds and do that. And I simply say amen to that. And I want to remind you, we all have things we know and we're proficient at. But here's the beauty is God's always teaching and always moving and always, we'll never figure it all out. And in case you think you know all about spiritual gifts, I'm very confused about them. So here's the beauty. It's the blind leading the blind in some ways. I mean, it amazes me. If you read the scriptures, what we know about spiritual gifts is there's something that God gives us when we become followers of Jesus, when the spirit fills us. When, when God lives in us, it comes along with him. He brings it. And we'll look over these weeks at what that all means. But the fascinating thing is the only way we ever see it given is elders lay hands on people, they pray for it, and then they tell them what they've been given. Now, I don't know the last time for you, but I never had someone pray it over me, and there was a mystical way they pronounced it. And even if they did, I went, eh, maybe they know, maybe they don't. So let's just agree, even understanding how they're given is hard. Can we understand it's mysterious? But the thing I don't want you to mistake is it's amazing. I mean, here's the simple thing. God imparts to us a supernatural spark that's something we cannot do in the natural that he wants us to fan into flame and have become bigger and better to change how we live. Isn't that awesome? It's like being a superhero. Come on. You know, I'm as excited as the shirt is loud and you guys are just so calm. Like I really need a little more energy to this deal, but I'll keep going whether you got it or not because I've got enough for all of us. So all I'm saying is we take a humble teaching posture. You know what? I want to be taught. I want to be humble in this. I want God to teach me what this means. Now, he's going to continue to course correct before he gets into what matters. Hey, you know that when you were pagans, because most of these people had never followed God until they heard about Jesus. They weren't even coming from the Jewish culture. They kind of lived for themselves. Somehow or other, you're influenced and led astray by mute idols. Now, idols are common in Roman culture. In fact, there are all sorts of different altars and beautiful buildings built to different gods. They have gods for war and gods for health and gods for their fertility, gods for their, their work and their agriculture. Anything you can mention, they have buildings for and idols for. And he's not simply telling them this, though it's in part to tell them, listen, you get off track. It's that we all get pulled astray by these things. And here would be our today application for this. We live in a world that loves spiritual things. 
but we kind of syncretize them, meaning we pull them all together. I'll take this one from this piece, I'll take this one from that piece, I'll take this one from this piece, and we pull them together and go, I'll build my own way of thinking and living spiritually. And what that is, is that's taking who God is and then it's pulling in what we would call idols, whether they're empty, whether they're demonic. You know what? I'm gonna see what God has for me and pray his will. I'm also gonna go see a medium. You know what? I want... I want to believe what Jesus says about Christianity, but I like this from this faith, I like this from Reiki, I like this from that. And we just start extracting and pulling things together, kind of deciding it's all one thing and it's not. In the same way, Paul is going, listen, don't just pull all this together. Don't kind of assume. And as it relates to gifts, I'm concerned what will happen is we'll go, listen, I have these talents and abilities. God's just going to kind of supercharge them. Like he turbocharges my natural abilities and that's spiritual gifts. It's not. This is something different that God does in his body and how he moves in his body. Now, Jesus, or Paul gets even more clear about this in a culture that's confused. Now he's getting to the heart of it, again, before we even talk about what they are. Hey, I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a humbling picture in this. What would cause us to say, Jesus is Lord? Spirit of God. In other words, there's a humility already in recognizing I respond to who God is, but it's God's very presence and work in my life that helps me to actually acknowledge and trust Jesus and follow him and let my life speak that he's Lord. I don't know if you realize this for me. This is true for me. The more I follow Jesus, the more I realize most of my prayers are empty me and help me fill with you because I can't do this by myself. Have you ever had that? You, you read the scriptures and you go, that's a great idea. But then we think, I have to just try harder to get there. And no, no, you, you can't get there. We actually empty and go, Holy Spirit, fill us, change us, help us. Now, Paul's also being particular because even what happened in Corinthians 11, they say Jesus is Lord, but by the way they handle communion, they're cursing Jesus because they're dismissing people in his body. When they elevate some gifts over others and elevate certain people over others, they're cursing Jesus because they're saying one's better than another. That's not the way Jesus works. Man, he loves every one of us infinitely. Just take a second. If you're in this room, if you're at home, you can look around. Look at the people around you. Just go ahead and look at them for a second. Do you know every one of them is the apple of God's eye? I mean, he looks and he goes, I love how I made that one. Oh, I love how I made that one. Oh, I love how I made that one. He's not looking like Raymond's mom and everyone loves Raymond going, I like this one better than that one. He adores you and adores each other one. And Paul is getting back to character because somehow in their giftedness, they've assimilated or believe someone's better than another. So, hey, you want to know what it is? It's how we elevate who Jesus is and how we love other people, not how we think more highly of one than another. And in case you don't know, we all struggle with this deeply. If you want an autograph and want to know someone's better than another, you probably struggle with it. We all do. All right, he's going to continue, and now he's going to get into kind of the beginning piece for us. He's going to look specifically at how God functions in this, and I want to explain it, and then I want us to read specifically how it relates to gifts. So this is just a very quick understanding. Again, many of you may know some of this, but it helps me to just be reminded. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. One God, one. God the Father... 
sends God the Son to the earth, fully human, fully divine. Jesus comes to live a sinless life. By doing that, he basically pulls down all of this glory and lives in humility because sin is always rooted in pride and selfishness, and he's the antidote. So by his very death, it tells us the temple curtain tears, which is an image of our separation from God, and it tells us it's finished. You know that graves were actually opened up. People who were dead that could never respond are responding because of what happens. Like everything changes. Death is conquered. That's an amazing moment. Jesus rises in his glorified body, goes back to be with the Father in the same body. We tend to think Jesus dropped his skin. Not true. He'll carry it forever. And then he tells us he gives us his spirit, which happens about 50 days afterwards. And by the way, the spirit enters all these believers in one place. And how many of you know what, what is used, the element used to tell us about what the spirit's coming is? Anybody know what it comes like? They have it on their heads. What? Fire. Fire. What is it? Fire. Well done. All I can hear is Elmer Fudd going, fire. Sorry, that's what I hear. Uh, now, that matters because that's the image of God's passion and movement and refining work in us. So here's why I want you to see it. The spiritual gifts are deposited a spark of that fire into us. And then we're called to fan them into flame and let them grow. Now, that's the overall picture. It's a simple one. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, every time we're together, when you're with friends, we just want you to continue to be asking, did Jesus really do this? And if he did, that means his death actually pays for my price, my sin, and God really wants a relationship with me, we'd go pursue it. Just begin to confess that you want him to actually be Lord and ask his spirit to fill you. We're going to keep encouraging that process in your life. Now, here's where Paul then goes with these three facets of who God is, this three distinct persons, one Godhead, one, one God. And he says it this way, he begins with the Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. What he's telling us right here is that Spirit is one who gives us gifts, who gives us spiritual gifts. And in case you don't know, the very word for gift, charisma in the Greek, is a, a larger word of the word charis, which means grace, which is the very word we cling to of what we call salvation. In other words, Jesus came not because you deserved it or I deserved it, but because he loves us. In our brokenness, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it, but he loves us that much. Not to go, I can't look at you, but to go, I love you in your brokenness. I will die for you, and I'm offering a way to be restored. Come on. That's the Christian life. The more we understand how much he loves us, the more we live differently. If we're not living differently, we probably don't get it. So that's where it begins, and it's grace. It's something we don't deserve. The same way a gifts, gifts are deposited into us that we don't deserve, we get them out of God's kindness. That's what he's giving us. And I'm telling you, it is an untapped, amazing thing that we just kind of walk around because we can't fully grasp it, so we go, oh, whatever, and what we're hearing from God is take that little spark and fan it into flame. Here's where we begin then. This is a simple way for you to begin. It just calls for humility. Can you and I just agree we can't live this Christian life on our own and we need God's help? Can you and I just agree that the Spirit has deposited not just his presence but a, a grace, a grace let, a gift or gifts into you and me, something we didn't have from birth that he wants us to take and develop and grow them, to fan them into flame. That's the first place we begin. 
How do I do this? The Spirit gives it to me. Then we get to Jesus. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. I just think this is so brilliant, the way Paul takes three little statements and shows us Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The role of Jesus, he came to serve, not to be served. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes not to stand over us of a king in power, but to come as a suffering servant in incredible humility with his focus on others, not himself. Now let's just compare that to talents and the way we call giftedness in our world. When someone's talented, they say, I need to harness this the best way I can. I need to manage it. I need to do it in a way that best moves me forward and lifts me up and does the things for me. It's me, it's me, it's me. Paul's saying here about Jesus, it's to serve others. Your gifts aren't given so you're advanced. Your gifts are given so the church, your friends and family are helped. We serve others. And then we move to the Father's role in all of this. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in everyone, it's the same God of work. How many of us have spiritual gifts who follow Jesus? I'm just standing with the word right over my hand, so if you can't see it. How many of us have them? Everyone. How many of us have them? How many of us have them? Everyone. We make the mistake like we do in how we look at the world. Oh, I see that talent, and I wish I had that. Oh, I see that, and I wish I had that. And we'll get into it over the five weeks, because there are different ways God wants us to look at it. I love what Paul says about it. I just don't want to spoil it for you today, today in this. But it's this beautiful idea that God pours out everything to all of us. We're his plan to change the world and help each other. I love it that it's God who works. It's not you, it's not me, it's God who works. It's not you, it's not me, it's God who works. Isn't that amazing? Let me give you a picture of this, really just from culture, and I think it, it, it was really fun. Actually, uh, I happened to come across this story this week. It's dependence on him, which I hope I made clear. This is Brian May. Uh, he's the guitarist for Queen, continues to be. Uh, and even if you're younger, you've probably, they kind of had a resurgence several times. And now with the story that came out about Freddie Mercury. In case you don't know, this guitar is called Red Special. That's what its name is. He, he, there's a crazy story. This is the original guitar. He still plays it that uh, he got when he was 16, but there's a story behind it. You see, Brian's dad saw musical aptitude in him and a hunger in him and he knew they couldn't afford a new guitar. So he said, you know what, Brian, let's make one together. His dad was an engineer. Two-year project they went on. Here's the fun part about it. So the first thing they did was they found a friend who was gonna get rid of a fireplace mantle, and they took that mantle that was gonna be thrown out, and they filed it down, and it became the wood for this neck. The wood from a neck of a mantle that was gonna be thrown away, that is actually what's that guitar right there. Now, that wood had problems with it, actually wormholes, so they took matchsticks and filled it in, and they filed it all down. You are getting that this is a world-class guitar player, and this is the guitar not only started on, he still plays. Now, if that wasn't enough, they then took an old tabletop, and that's what this is. They put that together. The reason it's called Red Special is they lacquered it a certain amount of times to get this dark look, and even with that, that was a process they went through together, building this whole thing. Now, if that weren't enough, and it's not, they then took uh, these, this white plastic around here that you see is literally just plastic shelf edging that they put on the top and on the bottom. Are you getting the idea that this is not your high caliber guitar that was made for him? I hope you're getting it. 
They took what they had around them and put this together. And that's not the end of it. They actually then, this tremolo system, which is what makes the guitar go, you can bring it up and down. That is exactly what it sounds like. That is a bicycle saddlebag holder with knitting needle tip. That's what this tip is. That's what they did to make this tremolo bar. Come on, is that not unbelievable? There are Brian May guitars that they now make and have much better material, but that's the one he played and still plays because his father looked at his son and said, you know what, I see things in you. I'm gonna take whatever's around here and I'm gonna put it together and we're gonna build something you'd never be able to do alone. And by the way, he not only by this gift, these abilities he was given, which we would equate with how we give, God gives gifts that way, but then he uses it serving others, playing. If he sat in his house and just played by himself, would we have experienced all that was intended? No. Are you getting a picture of what God wants to do? If some human father can do that with their boy, how much more does the father in heaven look at you and go, oh, oh, I got so much more to work with in your life. Let's take all these things together that you don't realize you do and let's start building this thing and let's take this spark and oh, let's start fanning it into flame. Oh man, if you'll run with your character ahead of your giftedness, imagine what you can be a part of with me, what I have for you. Imagine what I wanna do. You think hearing a great solo, you think writing the songs he did is a big deal. I can change the world with you in mind and the people around you. I just simply want you to fan into flame the gifts I've given you. I want you to let me do this with you, and I want you to do it with a very particular posture, serving others with humble dependence. What if you and I take this attitude as we enter into the series, and go, oh, Lord, I can't do this alone. Would you help me to increase my dependence? Will you help me to set aside my self-sufficiency? You realize it's the places we're most confident that are the hardest for us to let go of, don't you? Or I should say the places we're most fearful or broken. Man, I don't want to trust that to anybody. God's saying, set it aside. Set aside your best strengths and trust me to actually change you. Let it be that the Holy Spirit fans it into flame with you. Let it be that we take on the very posture of Jesus serving others. Let it be that we live in dependence on the Father to actually move and work and bring life to us through it. I hope you're getting a picture for what it could be in these weeks ahead. And I have just a couple simple things I'm gonna ask. One is that you'll begin to pray this regularly. God, would you help my character run ahead of my giftedness? And the other is, Holy Spirit, would you take this spark and begin to fan it into flame? And make no mistake, you will not figure this out sitting in a room by yourself. Figure it out as we serve others. We, we have a step that can be helpful for you in it. We have a spiritual gifts assessment if you go to allshorts.org slash serve and you'll see the, it'll say learn more about the gifts assessment, you'll click it and then you can take it on another page or you can even just look at the gifts as we have listed out because there are a lot of them and it's not exhaustive. I want you to do this just so you have a better idea of what it might be. I wanna remind you that just because you take an assessment doesn't mean it's your gifts. It means it's what you think they might be. And the way we discover them is as we serve. The way we discover them is as we step out. The way we discover them is as others see them and as we see them and God moves, we grow in them, we develop them. The same way you develop talents and abilities, we develop them as we serve others, fanning it into flame, serving others with a humble posture and dependence. Can you picture with me what that might look like? 
Can you picture if you and I stop saying, well, it's something we don't really need that much today. Well, it's something that's kind of confusing. Well, it's something I just need to rely on myself and work hard at and instead said, God, we need you. And guess what? I need this spark to get, get just burning bright. Oh, God, would you breathe the oxygen of your spirit into this spark and burn it into flame? Let me pray for us with this in mind. Lord, I ask uh, as we enter these weeks together, God, we, I confess, I can't convince people or even train or teach people what or how to operate in this. So we come in dependence and say, Lord, we need you. We need your spirit to guide us together and individually. I'm asking even as people take steps and pray for character ahead of giftedness that you would be forging in us a deeper life that we wouldn't long for it so we get gifts, but we long for it because we get you when we build character. God, let us see gifts as you do. Let us become people that serve like Jesus and look to you, Father, to do the work that we could never make happen alone. Lord, I am asking for a unique outpouring of your spirit on us. I'm praying that you'd move in Jesus' name. Amen.